Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. It's a beautiful day here uh, in New York. So our topic today is planning and decision-making, uh, planning and decision-making. And uh, this is really a deep application of what we call emotionally healthy leader or discipleship. Uh, in fact, really, there's two tracks that I invite pastors and leaders on, and they both are basically interchangeable. One, of course, is the leader's track, which is you, which is what this podcast is about, um, developing your own integration of uh, what we call emotionally healthy discipleship, just basically serious discipleship in your own leadership and all the implications of that, which we're now about to get into. Then there's a church discipleship track, which is, you know, bringing this to your church and those you're leading. But the reality is, if you start with discipleship in your church, you still got to come back to the leadership because you've got to do a deep application of this in your life if you're going to build a healthy culture. Uh, if you start with the leadership, you know, your own leadership or your own leadership team, you're going to eventually have to get to, to church. Um, and what does it look like to bring this to a church on a level that's for everybody? And so, again, they're both interchangeable. No matter where you begin, uh, it's, it's, it's your whole life. And the implications are great. I like to, I like to say it very simply, leadership is high-level discipleship. Uh, high-level application of following Jesus. So, um, because our vision, I'm firmly convinced that uh, we need a radically new culture for the church going to the 21st century and uh, a counterculture. And that's really what we're, we're getting into here. And as we talk about planning and decision-making, a whole other way of looking at how we approach this uh, in our leadership. So if you've never downloaded the, the ebook, Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives, Get that ebook. You know, download it, read it. It's, it's free. It's short. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org/churchculture uh, and check that out. So, so now we're getting into uh, if you're if you've read the Emotionally Leader book uh, or uh, our whole approach to leadership is that your inner life uh, is what informs your outer life of leadership on a daily basis. You can't separate the two. Uh, and uh, you know, we spent the last you know, four or five weeks in this podcast talking about the inner life issues on emotionally healthy leader, things like you face your shadow. You know, how might my shadow or the shadow of others on my team be impacting our decision making? You know, in planning, that's really our theme. What are our fears as we go into this? You're looking at themes like your marriage or singleness and how is this decision and planning we're making going to impact our ability to lead out of our marriages or singleness? As a team, you're asking that question. You know, how... Uh, you know, how is this decision going to affect my abiding in Jesus by slowing down for loving union? And how is this decision going to affect our work Sabbath rhythm? So you're, uh, and actually the, the, the ability to make good decisions in, in, by the Holy Spirit, as you'll see in just a few minutes, are really informed by these four issues. But you know, now we're getting into, uh, in, the, in the latter part of this Emotionally Healthy Leader book, the, the real application of the day-to-day -day activity. But uh, again, there has to be a this has to be deep in you to apply it on a uh, high-level leadership, uh, you know, environment. And so you have to not just know about certain things. You've got to know them, know them inside of you deeply. So here's the three critical issues or questions I keep before me as I'm doing planning and decision-making as corporately, you know, as a leader. Uh, the first is, what is God saying? Uh, the second is, how is God coming to me in terms of consolations and desolations? You know, in other words, as I've got options before me, and they're not, it's not a matter of right or wrong or good or evil. Uh, the issue is, 
this whole process of consolations, desolations, which, which I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes, Ignatian spirituality. And I'll give you some examples of that. And then the third critical issue of planning decision-making is how is God coming through our limits? Uh, how, is this, how is this impacting our discernment process? So let me just take, let me just ramble, of course, as I normally do on a podcast, as if we're talking across the table, uh, around these three issues. And, um, uh, you know, may they bless you. So the first question to me, the most important question in planning and decision-making uh, is what is God saying? You know, what is he saying? And I, you know, if there's any passage that speaks to this uh, beautifully is the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, Jesus is transfigured before, you know, Peter, James, and John, and, uh, you know, Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus on the mountain. He's radiant with light. And uh, Peter starts making a plan. And, you know, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, he, he's basically building a conference center. You know, we can, this is, this is good. And, and really, it's, it's not a bad idea. Uh, and the challenge is Peter's always in a hurry uh, to advise Jesus. And uh, uh, he's got notions of what would be good uh, for Jesus in the kingdom, but he's just far off, just like many of us. Uh, and... Peter just doesn't get the larger picture here. He's always trying to do the right thing, but he's not waiting. He's not listening. Uh, he's just too eager to move. And as you know, a bright cloud, God comes, the Father comes, and a bright cloud covers them and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And that word is listen to him. And if I could say one thing to you, the most important issue is to listen to what is Jesus saying. And that was the the, the moment for Peter to get this deep in him. Uh, so most of us, and I and I was in this for years, you know, we've got, okay, here's the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. We've got to make an impact in the world. And so then basically we just do everything we can to maximize our impact. And, you know, I've been through uh, over my years so many strategic processes of planning. I brought in consultants over the years multiple times, and I, and I think it's really healthy to do so. I think there's so much to learn from a, these folks, and I got good friends that do this, that lead churches in strategic planning processes, and it's fantastic. Um, but I've been through enough to know that there's, there's no matter how you cut it, there, there's a, a basic, you know, format of stepping back and looking at the big picture, and, uh, and it's important. Uh, so you can maximize your gifts and talents and what's there as a, as a church or as a ministry. What I have always found lacking in the process, and I'll use the word always, and I don't think it's the persons, the, the strategic planning people maybe you're inviting in as consultants to lead you in a process to actually bring this piece. Um, I'm not sure it's their role. I, I just know it's your role and my role as leaders in that process that brought them in. The question is, even in light of all that, what is God saying? Uh, what's he saying to us? So you've got to establish this first uh, issue in your life around success and get this clear. How do you define success? And I'm defining it as radically doing God's will. That is success. So in other words, it's not numbers. It's not size. Uh, you can be growing uh, and failing. Uh, you can be growing and multiplying numbers and be in total disobedience to what the Father has for you. Because the question is, what has God asked you to do? And I, I'll never forget the moment I realized, oh my goodness, I can build this church of 10,000 people 
if I had the ability even, you know, and, and, and I'll come to God and say at the end of life, here it is, Lord, there's 10,000 people. I built this church for you in the kingdom of God, and God's going to look at me and say, I, ne I never asked you to do that. That wasn't your role. You were supposed to build a different type of church and raise up leaders, and uh, your church was meant to be this size. Uh, there's other people I'm, I'm calling to do that, but that wasn't yours, and you're striving and pushing an assumption that, that was what I had for you uh, was presumption. And uh, so I just want to challenge, and I think you, unless you get this clear, uh, it's very hard to, uh, to me to do planning and decision-making. Uh, I'll call it God's way, which is it's doing what God says and becoming the person God's called you to become. And so I know Western culture, we define success by numbers, how many baptisms, how many people in small groups, how many people are serving, how many folks are attending on Sundays. And, and it's just such a huge marker for us of success. It drives us. And the problem with that is it's contrary to Scripture. Uh, again, yes, there's numbers in the book of Acts that are there, but we've got so many examples of people who did not have numbers. I think of John the Baptist, you know, I mean, John the Baptist's numbers went down. Uh, and yet Jesus said there is, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I mean, Jeremiah was, you know, served with passion and obedience for 50 to 60 years, but he was written off and ridiculed. He did not have uh, a big ministry uh, during his day. It was not, he, was not, he would not be considered a success by, at all by our standards. Uh, the same thing goes with Isaiah. I think of Amos, you know, leaving Judah, the southern kingdom, and traveling north to the northern kingdom uh, to preach, and uh, people never responded to his message. Uh, again, did not look like a success at all. I think of uh, Jesus in Capernaum in the midst of a revival, or Jesus in John chapter 6 when thousands leave him and walk away from him, uh, did not look like a success at all in his ministry and looked like a failure. Because God's standard of success is much more nuanced than simply growth. Yes, God, I, I believe the kingdom has to grow and be fruitful. The question is, we just take kind of a Western control, rational way of the way this is going to look is numbers. And uh, so I want to plead with you and challenge you biblically that success is doing what God's asking you to do uh, and doing it his way in his timing. Uh, and so you're always asking the question in planning and decision making. In fact, you're always asking that question every day in all of life is what is God saying? And very often, it just unfolds slowly. And again, it depends on the size of the decision. And um, so, so that does mean you've got to wrestle with questions of, well, then how do we measure success in our situation? So, for example, uh, I, I know that when I was pastoring New Life Fellowship Church, uh, we really wrestled with what is a, some markers of success, because it's not just numbers. And we do want to, we wanted to lead people to Jesus, and, and we did grow numerically, slowly, just and steadily over many years. Uh, and New Life continues to do that. But transformation, uh, we had a few other markers for us, was, was deep transformation in people's lives, I mean, real discipleship. Um, and so we had to figure out what does that look like, uh, bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. That was a real value for us. Uh, and you know, our mission, we had to measure, how do we measure that? And, and serving our community and our world. And so it was a lot of work to sit down and things like, you know, every staff, board, and key member is going to practice Sabbath for 24 hours, you know, each week. And uh, each leader at New Life will develop his or her relationship with God on a daily basis by spending, ex, you know, time in prayer and scripture and et cetera, et cetera. And every member at New Life will develop a rule of life. But we had to really wrestle with it. 50% of married couples will go through this training of your marriage as a sign of wonder. But we had to, it, it was difficult. And uh, I'm not sure we ever figured it out. 
because it's, it's, it is a lot fuzzier than simply what you can control by numbers. And um, so that means you, you also, as you say, what is God saying? As you're in a planning process, your own uh, preparation, your own soul, your own walk with God is so critical. So imagine here you are as a leadership team, you're coming to, you're doing some planning and making some decisions, but and you're saying, well, how's God calling us to go forward with this? And it assumes that on a personal level, you're you're doing it. You're, you're creating space in your life to be listening for God. Um, so we don't just pray, open the meeting, and then leap into our agenda. Uh, we don't take it for granted that everyone in the room is in loving union with Jesus. Because it's, as you know, you can come into the room agitated and rushing and preoccupied and overscheduled and undernourished. And so there's a personal heart preparation that's needed. And then there's a this team uh, preparation. That's why if, you know, a couple times a year you're doing some you know, serious strategic planning or thinking about the long range, which I hope you do, you know, two or three times a year, you know, get away for a day. And regardless of the size of your ministry and church, uh, you've got to build some time, I believe, into that into that meeting when you perhaps get away or doing a longer strategic thinking time or making some big decisions to actually prepare the team uh, before talking about the issue. And... Um, you know, how much time do we take, you might ask. Well, the simple principle is that the larger the decisions, the more time is required in preparation. And I think Jesus models that with the 12. When he chose the 12, uh, first of all, he waited quite a while. Some scholars say a year, year and a half, but we know he prayed all night before he chose the 12, it says in Luke. Because, because everyone's got to get into a room and be in a place of open to whatever God says. In other words, the word is used in, in Ignatian spirituality, I'm indifferent to the outcome in terms of I don't have an agenda of what God needs to do. No matter what the outcome, yes, God. And uh, that is a difficult place to get to. Um, and if you and whoever you're with is you're making plans, we like to ask on a scale of one to 10, where are you in terms of indifference or openness to whatever God says? So what they'd say it's buying a building or launching a new ministry. Uh, but where are you on a scale of one to ten in terms of indifference? So how high an agenda do you have, or, or like you already think this is the, this should be the outcome? Because uh, that answer to that question is going to determine how that meeting is going to flow out. So, for example, I, I, I'll give you just a recent example for us in, in emotionally the discipleship. So, you know, we were, you know, this ministry has grown quite a bit, and uh, and so a lot, and we have one full time employee. Uh, that runs it. Uh, her name is Ruth, and, and she's amazing. But as the thing has grown, uh, we've got a number of part-time contract employees, six or seven of those. And, and so we really were wrestling uh, over the last few years, like, oh, Lord, what do we do? And making another hire and another hire. So I, you know, maybe a couple of hires and just building out the organization. It'd be very obvious what we should do with emotional discipleship. And it really would be probably build a large organization for both nationally, North America here, and around the world. And so, you know, I, at one point, I, I just, I, well, at various points, I, I had a strategic plan or coming. So I think it's just really healthy to bring an outside person to kind of lead a process. And um, so probably about a year and a half ago, uh, this fellow I consider one of the best, you know, master trained strategic planners. And we did a few sessions. I, I know him. And we did a few sessions uh pretty briefly by phone. And, and he kind of did the classic process. And again, I've been around this long enough to know it. And it was really, he did an excellent job. And he basically said, listen, Pete, if you, because, you know, you keep this small, you don't want to build a big organization. Uh, here's a bucket you're going to need to have a point person for. And 
uh, you know, he took all our thinking and just organized it simply and said, you know, you'll probably have these six buckets. You'll probably, you're going to need to hire, you know, full-time people fill these buckets over the next, you know, six, seven years. And if you, if you say you do, we don't want to build a big organization, you want to keep this really small, at the present rate you're going, you'll at least have six or six full-time people, probably a number of part-time people. Um, you'll probably have a budget of, you know, four to five million dollars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and that was it, you know, and, I, and, I, and he was, you know, responding to our desire not to build a big organization. And it was just so interesting because I think he did an excellent job and I felt the initial rush of adrenaline. But then, you know, reality hit into me of just, you know, what, wow, like, and I had this kind of unease internally. We did a job description and all that for the first hire and we did a search and we actually found an excellent person who met the criteria and it was really good to say, wow. And, uh, but, uh, we said, well, we can hire this person, and you know, and we look like we could raise the money for it and all that. And so we have a board, a uh, small board, and we brought it to them, and we had some priorities for the year, and this was among them. And the, and and the question was, what's God saying? And it was so amazing because the, uh, you know, I've been carrying internally this incredible reluctance. I was really struggling with like a part of me did not want to make this hire, but I couldn't figure it out. I felt guilty. I should. Uh, the world needs it. Uh, you know, Ruth is working alone here. Uh, she could use it. It'd be good for her. Uh, it's what we should do, right? I mean, it's just the right thing to do. And even the best consultant I know said, yes, you know. And uh, and the board just, you know, uh, all said, every one of them uh, just said, I, we, we, don't, we don't think you should be building an organization, you know, and keep it small and slim. The most important contribution each discipleship is making to the world is content. You know, whether it's writing books and podcasts and creating content on the website and the vault for people doing the courses, et cetera. And I'll never forget, I was like, I, first of all, I was shocked that they said that, you know, don't build an organization, you know, keep it small, at least while I'm leading it, um, you know, out of who and Jerry are. And then one of the guys said, Pete, I've been with you, for, you know, 30 years. It's always been small uh, mustard seed and then God's always done the rest. And, uh, None of them felt right about making the hire. It has been very liberating. This was probably four months, three, four months ago. And it was really, it was, again, it was, what's God saying? Is it, is it, uh, it's counterintuitive, but there has been a great descent of peace uh, for myself, Ruth, everybody. And, uh, and it just felt great. I think the same thing happened when we, we were buying our building. It's one of the best examples I know. We were, we were uh, looking to buy a building for our church. It was 2002, 2003. And it looked like we'd lost our building that we that we were spent five years trying to purchase. And a developer came in, undercut us, and it looked like they got it. Then another building became available uh, in a different neighborhood, and um, we could have still been multiracial and all that, but it was more of a middle class neighborhood. We're in more of a lower class working, a class neighborhood, poor near a subway, tough parking, a lot of limits to the building. Which, but what happened was we lost it. So we had a chance to buy another building. It was cheaper. And my financial guy said, Pete, he said to the board, if we buy this building, we will double instantly because of all the parking. Uh, we'll draw more middle-class people. Our budget will probably double very quickly. Uh, and of course, he's a financial guy. He laughed tongue-in-cheek. goes, of course, you know, my vote is go there, you know. And they, he knew enough to know that wasn't how we were going to make a decision. And make a long story short through the discernment process. What's God saying? We just knew God was not calling us to go there. And that God called us to stay among the poor as a church. We were to stay there with all the limits. It was going to limit our numbers, et cetera, finance, the kind of people that would come to our church. But we would have lost the low, the, the bottom 20%, bottom in terms of the poor folks who couldn't, would never get to our church because of a lack of a subway train. And um, 
Anyway, we, we stayed. And I, just, I think one of the great examples for me of what's God saying is the most important thing. So again, this is, why, this is why your development of silence and stillness in your own life, you're asking each day, and I'm asking each day, what's God saying? Then I can bring it to a larger uh, platform of, a, of leading a team and an, a ministry, an organization, something large with lots of influence. And um, But it's so funny, it, even on a small scale, you know, what's God saying on a personal level? And so it may be something like, you know, I'm reading this book called Seeing God by Hans Boyersma, and I... And I read it, but I knew God wasn't finished with me yet. And you know, what's God said? I felt God, he's, you know, bringing me back to it about the beatific vision and the goal of life of seeing God. You'll probably hear a podcast on it, but I've been in this thing for months and months and I'm still in it just as part of my prayerful devotional life. And uh, I made it made a little bit of a switch today and how I'm going to spend my day. And part of it came out of Jerry, you know, and uh, we're going to have a little staff meeting, her and I my wife and I. And, uh, you know, because I'll, you know, my oneness with her, my marriage with her, it's just part of my discernment process. And we're going to have a little, little meeting for an hour because uh, I want her to have a great day. And so, you know, four o'clock, we're going to stop. So I'm always asking that question, large and small, what is God saying? That is number one. Secondly, is then how is God coming through uh, consolations and desolations? In other words, how do I discern between many options? You know, it's not good or evil, but, but right or wrong. And for me, we get into Ignatian spirituality here, and this is a really big piece of planning and decision-making. At least it has been for me for a very long time. In other words, as I'm listening, I'm asking the question, what's the Holy Spirit saying to me? And, uh, you know, through this consolation, desolation, I, and I, I you know, I, I should do, I got to do a whole podcast on this passage. But for now, let me just take a couple of minutes about the passage of Jesus with the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman in uh, Matthew 15, where he goes to this region of Tyre and Sidon, this, this Canaanite woman comes and says, Lord, have mercy on me, my daughter's demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And, 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 and she's crying out to Jesus. She's screaming to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't answer her. And the disciples say, send her away. And then Jesus says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I mean, Jesus, is very, Jesus has a strategy. He was, he was given by the Father, which is you know, Israel, go to Israel, you know, die for the sins of the world. And Israel, you know, then it will go to all the nations. But he was focused on this on, on the Jews of first century Palestine. Here's a Gentile coming for healing. And he knows if he heals this woman's daughter, um, it's going to release all kinds of like impact on people. And, but, but he says, he says to her, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And she says, Lord, help me. She kneels before him. She, she sees he's the Lord. No one else can see it. I mean, the Pharisees don't see it. His own disciples don't see it. She sees it. She's got revelation. And then he says, it's not right to take the children's bed and and toss it to the dogs, dogs, and she gives this incredible response. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And then Jesus discerns. He, he's in a process of discernment here. He discerns the Father's moving, and God's doing something. To, and, the, and he heals her. He heals the, the woman's daughter. And he says, you have great faith. Your, water, your daughter is freed from her suffering. And, and uh, he's, you see him. It's really much like the Garden of Gethsemane. We observe Jesus' process and struggle of discerning the will of God as he heals that woman. And uh, just as in Gethsemane, he struggles to find God's will. And uh, it, it, it's a tremendous passage about, I think, in terms of whenever we're, we make plans and we, we have a sense we've discerned God's will of where we're going, we always have this openness of the Father coming and speaking to us, or something emerging, and then we make a switch with our plans, because we're always listening to the Father. And so... Um, the key is process. So if you've not studied Ignatian spirituality, uh, it is the best work I know, uh, going back to Ignatius in the 1500s, 
of how do I discern God's will when the options before me are just neither right or wrong. They're just there, you know, and I got two or three options and they're all good. But how do I discern what God, which is God saying? And his work has been the best. And I don't have time to go into a whole big podcast on that. Um, so here's what I said to a friend uh, who is pastoring in Florida, and he was given an opportunity to go into a new position on a national level. Uh, and uh, But it, it was a switch. And so, it, it, you know, it was, as you know, every decision, lots of factors. So I said, all right, listen, make a list of the pros and cons of each position, staying where you are in your local church as a pastor. And the second is, you know, leaving and taking this position, uh, this national position uh, and uh, in church planting and which of which he he was qualified for, of course, for both. And so I said, take time, take as much time as you need to get all the pros and cons, get counsel, do your due diligence, do the work of prudence, you know, the work, you know, the wisdom of the prudence to give thought to their ways. Uh, prudent people, you know, unlike foolish people, uh, do the hard work of thinking th- things through, getting, asking the hard questions. Um, you know, and so we, I, I said, get all your counsel to make your pros and cons of each one. Uh, and, and then, so after you've done that, and it could take a couple of weeks, uh, it could take longer, to ask people who've done the job what it's like for them, what their life is like, the impact on their family, et cetera, et cetera. A- ask, find out why that previous person left. What is the vision of the person leading the whole thing? Do all that work and make your list of pros and cons. And then secondly, imagine, live into each choice. In other words, imagine you said yes to, to option A and imagine living into that for like, even again, depending on the size of the you know, decision, how long you want to take, but imagine then imagine for two to three weeks, you, you said yes to this choice, that you're leaving your church, you're taking, the, you're taking this national position. Uh, what does that feel like in your body? What's it feel like for your spouse? Um, and do that for two, three weeks. What's the, how's the Holy Spirit moving inside of you in terms of consolations and desolations? Then I said, then after you finish that, take, imagine you don't take it and you stay at your church and imagine that over the next two to three weeks, you know, and what's going on inside of you by the Holy Spirit in terms of, does it feel, do you feel peace and joy? Do you feel death? Um, listen to God in it. And then uh, very often out of that, some, some wisdom comes about God's direction. And uh, it's interesting, even myself, uh, you know, I've been, uh, as many of you know, I stepped down from being lead pastor six and a half years ago uh, from New Life Fellowship Church. And uh, so I've got a small role at the church as a pastor at large. Um, And uh, I, about probably about over about a year and a half period, um, I felt it very slowly. I I had less joy when I would preach. Uh, I would preach like initially, you know, five times a year, maybe, you know, and I was up front quite a bit the first couple of years as Rich was, you know, coming into his own as the lead pastor. And um, and I had a specific role of leading the discipleship, EH discipleship course at our church. And um, but about two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, I really felt desolation uh, being preaching. Um, and I just realized the Holy Spirit was coming to me that, you know, Pete, you're you want to be more and more in the background and uh, mentor uh, the next generation of preachers, nurture them, and you want less and less people attaching to you as their shepherd, um, and more and more empowering other people who are on the staff to come around Rich and serve him. And uh, and I just, I, 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 as I was listening, again, to the consolation desolation within myself, again, not fully trusting myself, and I really do believe in the value of boards, uh, New Life Fellowship's board, and uh and then, of course, Rich is the lead pastor, and I remember bringing it to them. 
uh, and just saying, this is what I'm sensing on, on internally about my role. And I, I'd like to just, you know, I'd like to not preach, you know, and I think I'm preaching once this year, um, uh, next week as a matter of fact, but I feel great about it, uh, because I'm not the primary person. I'm not the ones, and it's, it's the right role for me. And it's just, it's, I just know it's God's will. And I'm sure I'll go down from that even. And, uh, who knows, maybe I'll do a second this year, but I, I, I do sense clearly that my role is to clearly decrease and give my energy is better spent serving those who are leading behind the scenes. And uh, so if you've not studied Ignatian spirituality, and you, you want to get into that. It's, it's, it's so much material, so many books written on it. Uh, get yourself a spiritual director. It's a very nuanced. It's not, you know, you got it one, two, three. It, it really is something you want to uh, continually immerse yourself in it, and you find out there's just more and more in it. Now, the third large question around planning and decision-making has to do with how is God speaking through limits? In discernment, and I guess the whole theology on limits, because uh, this issue of limits, we want to conquer limits and go around limits and deny them and fight them and break through them. And but limits are actually a gift from God. They're a guardrail. They protect me from straying outside God's will and keep me on His path that will again slowly unfold over time. And so this is, this is so counterintuitive. It's difficult truth in Scripture to actually absorb as you're planning decision making. It goes against everything in our culture. Uh, and the world around us. But uh, this is a critical, powerful truth, steady truth that I've constantly experienced in my own leadership uh, to this day, uh, limits. And so, for example, there was a fellow a couple of years ago that uh, well-qualified, that was we wanted to hire as a half-time marriage person at our church, and actually to pl- replace Jerry, because Jerry had done that for many years. And uh, there'd been a vacuum for a couple of years since Jerry stepped out of it. And uh, but there was a person that I think everyone saw. Like he, he's he's it. You know, he's he's great. He'll do a great job. And then what happened was, uh, of course, he, he had to talk to his wife about it. You know, and how she felt about it. And and she had a strong no uh, in her spirit. Like she did not feel good about it. Like he had been on staff at a different church many years earlier, and uh, had you know, overworked, it really impacted their marriage negatively. And she was still working through that and didn't have total trust in the guy would be able to manage that kind of responsibility and still put the marriage first. I'll make a long story short, is it uh, It was, became very clear that the limit of where his wife was at, at that point was God. And so basically he didn't come on staff and, and uh, they spent a year kind of doing their discernment process and uh, him doing some greater responsibilities and seeing if he could manage that and lead out of his marriage. And she could feel like the marriage was still first, which he did, and he eventually did come on staff. But it was a great moment of the need was great, he was qualified, but there was a limit there of coming through his wife that of from a past event that she was just not ready. And that was God. And I think it was so good that, you know, he responded. You know, a, 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 a mega pastor said this recently, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. The pace of my life is killing me. And again, that to me is, is God speaking through a limit. Something's wrong here. Uh, when you can't shake the pressure of you have too much to do in too little time, you're always rushing, you're firing off quick judgments, you're defensive, easily offended, you know, your body is screaming out because you're anxious and stressed and tight, or you're just unenthusiastic. That, that's, that's a limit. Limits are a gift from God. Your time limits are a gift. Your location is a limit, are a gift. Moses had limits. Jeremiah had limits. John the Baptist had limits. Abraham had limits. One kid, you know, Gideon had limits of his army. The 12 had limits. God's in those uh, for his sake. And 
Uh, I was with a fellow recently who just had brought before me a whole page full of everything he had to do. And he said, I need wisdom on how do I discern what's God calling me to do? And he, he had basically enough opportunities on his plate that he was involved in that not just his own local church, but other things, church planting, other organizations and ministries that he needed basically to be three people to do them. But as we talked and, and talked and talked, it became very obvious that um, his wife was in the room and uh, you know she was not feeling uh, like she was first. And uh, it, there was a stress there because he was out so often. And uh, to make a long story short, I said, you know it's God's will for you to one, walk with Jesus. You have the time to, to be in loving union with him. You know, secondly, because you've made a vow of marriage that she feels like she's first and no one's before her. And what is it going to take to nurture that marriage? And I said, once you, that, that, that's, you, put, you put that in place, the discernment will get clear of what you should and shouldn't do, um, which it just, it just opened up everything. And uh, because you couldn't be out four nights a week and five nights a week, it just wasn't, wasn't healthy. So again, here's the three critical issues you want to keep before you as you think about planning and decision-making. What's God saying? Um, how do I, how's God coming inside of me by the Holy Spirit through consolations and desolations? And then how's God speaking through limits? Uh, how is his discernment coming through that? And uh, so let me encourage you to download uh, the, it's a free discussion guide on the Emotionally Healthy Leader book uh, to supplement your reading and discussion like this chapter, obviously on planning and decision-making. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash ehleaderguide. That's emotionallyhealthy.org ehleaderguide. And uh, my prayer for you is that you'll have a different life as a leader. And I'm telling you, if you will just ask those questions, what's God saying? How's he coming through desolations and consolations? And just, you know, the limits he's placed around me. Leading can be a joy. It can be fantastic. You know, it takes so much pressure off. So I pray God's blessing on you today, uh, wherever you are listening to this. And uh, may the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, take you your next steps in this journey.